I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 20 as we begin this morning. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. This is what I like to call Paul's uh, pastor's conference that he calls on the island of Miletus. These are the elders of the church of Ephesus. But when he left Ephesus, things were not going so well for him because of one Demetrius, a silversmith, who was really ticked off at Paul and company uh, for making people stopping, uh, making people stop buying the silver idols uh, that that they used to be worshiping, and now so many people were worshiping Christus, Christos, that they uh, stopped buying the idols. So there was a big riot in the city, and Paul leaves soon after that. Some people think he might have been jailed for a while, although we don't have any record of that. But it's curious, when he's coming back by, he wants to meet with the Ephesian elders. And he chooses an off location uh, to do that. I've actually been to Miletus. It's, it's pretty near the coast there on the Aegean Sea, and it's got this really cool theater. Uh, we all sat there uh, in, in the theater. Uh, and by the way, I mean an amphitheater, right? I mean, I mean, this is like made out of stone, a Roman theater, all right? Uh, but our group, I, I, don't, I remember Miletus because uh, we had a devotional when we were there, and we all sang with the echo of that stone, it is well with my soul. And it was a, a really, really neat experience there uh, in Miletus. Uh, but it says in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Notice that's what they're called. They're called elders, presbuteroi. Okay, so where the word presbytery or presbyterian comes from, ultimately, called the elders of the church. It could mean it could mean old person, but in 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 terms of leadership, it means somebody who's in has a measure of authority. He's a respected leader. He called the elders of the church to come to him, and so by Acts chapter twenty, we know at least there were elders in the church. Where do they come from? We have no record of that. I, I believe it begins in Acts 9, if that's the right chapter I'm thinking of, when uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem to bring the offering that they had collected for the poor. Uh, they brought it to the elders in Jerusalem. First mention of elders in the New Testament. Nobody ever says where they came from. But they're just there. And when these elders came to him, it, it, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's recounting to them this remarkable ministry he had in in, uh, Ephesus. And you can read about his going to Ephesus in Acts 18 and 19. But he says here, now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's, he's leaving these elders once and for all in, in his mind. Therefore, I testify to you this day 
that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then he gives these elders some instruction. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Notice he, he, he refers to the congregation as a flock in which, uh, uh, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, there's a whole other word for a leader. This is uh, the episkopos, the overseer. Uh, sometimes in your Bibles, in the King James, for instance, it's translated bishop. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, with the, de- with the bishops and deacons. And that's the word uh, episkopoi, or that's the plural. It's, it's a kind of leader. And elders are a kind of leader. So he says to these elders, God has made you overseers, and he says, pay careful attention to the flock. And then he says, he's made you overseers to care for the church of God. And I, uh, I'm not sure exactly why the ESV translates it care for. The, the verb is to shepherd. It's to, to, to feed, like to feed a flock. So he's using a verb that goes along with the idea of shepherding. To care for, to shepherd the church of God, which he ordained with his blood because he says i know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you among the flock uh, not sparing the flock and, and notice he says fierce wolves will come in among you and he's not just talking about the elders he's talking about their congregations he's 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 linking the elder with the congregation fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's warning them there are some among you, I don't know how many elders are there, that if you're not careful, you could become somebody who's leading the church astray. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And Paul talks a little bit more about his ministry there and then verse 36 he said after he said all these things he knelt down and prayed with them what you see here in acts 28 is their heritage in the gospel from the apostle paul himself what he did with them how he ministered to them how god saved them how god formed the church now he's meeting with those who have charge over them and you shouldn't imagine here that you know there's a First Baptist Church of Ephesus, you know, and they've got a pretty big congregation and they've got all these elders there. I think most of you understand there's, there's no church architecture yet at this time. Uh, early on, it seems that these Jewish believers were meeting in synagogues because this is what they always would do. And yet, uh, as, as time went on and they sort of became disenfranchised, or that's a nice way to say it, get kicked out of the synagogue, uh, it happened to Paul all the time, uh, they began meeting in other places. And if, 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 a, if a person had a villa, which is which would, the Roman villa, which would have the, the courtyard and the atrium and, and then the rooms off the atrium, there's a layout that would work really well for a gathering. And if, if they had a, a place that was structured like that, they'd be able to have a church there. And so when he, he calls the elders of the church, first of all, you have to remember, Lord bless you, you have to remember that uh, there was a lot of people that came to Christ in Ephesus. There's, I mean, Demetrius was like, we're losing a lot of money here. Everybody stopped buying the idols. That indicates a lot of people that had come to faith in Christ. You don't fit all those people in one house. 
uh, you, you've got different house churches uh, here and there. And you, you, can, you can see that in the text of the New Testament in different ways. It's really fascinating when you look at the, the letter to Corinth, where Paul says, some of you say, I am of Paul, some of Peter, some of Apollo, some of Christ. That might have been different house churches of sort of uh, championing uh, one of their, their, their favorite patron in the gospel. You know, we're, we're the house of Peter. We're, we're following Paul over here. And they were, kind of, you know, they were kind of fighting about that. That may be what was going on there. There's a lot of evidence about these different churches. And so uh, in Ephesus, you're going to have several different elders. And, and likely, and there's evidence for this as well, uh, likely there's you know, maybe one or two or three elders in every one of these houses that are the leaders. Where does the word elder come from? Uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, they had elders in the synagogue, and these are Jewish believers, therefore they just adopted that term. Uh, and that may be correct. The problem is we absolutely, actually have no historical evidence whatsoever that there was elders in the synagogue, that they, that, that was a term. We, there's, there's just no written evidence about that. That's one of those bizarre facts you know once you study this stuff for a while. Uh, it, it's just not there. But there were elders among the Jews. I mean, think about it. Most of the time you read the word elder in the New Testament, it's referring to an enemy of Jesus Christ. The scribes and the elders and the chief priests are out to get him, okay? That's the same word. That, that's the way the Jews had, uh, they, were, they were governing themselves. These elders are these respected leaders, uh, among groups of Jews. And to be an elder was a really big deal. And so it's natural that these Jews would start calling them elders. But episkopos is actually a Greek idea. That was the way they would refer to leadership. And so as time goes on, you start seeing Paul using the word episkopos. Well, why? Because he's the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's referring to this one who oversees so whatever the pastor is, uh, he's somebody who's supposed to be a person that can be respected by his character and have some measure of authority, like an elder would be. And he is uh, somebody who can oversee, somebody who can manage. I'm feeling my eldership a lot after going down this river yesterday uh, with uh, four other very young, in-shape guys. Did you guys win your game last night, by the way? Good for you. All right. Uh, we, actually, we, have a, uh, we have a gateway. Um, this is not the team you were playing on last night, but we actually have a gateway softball team now. Okay, uh, See Andrew back there if you're, if you're interested. And uh, they, we did lose our first game <laughs> uh, the other day, but uh, anyway, looking forward to good things. But I, I was feeling my eldership a lot yesterday because uh, there were a couple of times we hit some big waves and I got thrown back in the boat. Uh, it was not my fault. Uh, but uh, they were like, Pastor, are you okay? They were like taking care of me. I felt like I was in a wheelchair going down the river or something, you know? And, and, then, and then about halfway through, every time there was a big rapid, I, I felt Andrew's hand on my back. Like, uh, and uh, he was like, hey, don't worry about that. I, I do that to all the old ladies, he said, uh, you know, when they... But, uh, but, but that, that's, the term, that's the term elder. It, it kind of means the same thing it would mean to us in, in our language as well. And then you have the overseers. And notice then that, that Paul uses this term flock and, and shepherd. Um, there's only a few times that that's used in the New Testament. Once, maybe, it's used formally. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that he gave some uh, apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and teachers. But the Greek structure there is of such that a lot of people argue that that's actually shepherd-teacher, 
Like it wasn't really a formal classification that Paul's like grouping two different kinds of people uh, together. The other time it's used in the New Testament, it's, it's really just an illustration. And it's a good illustration. It's what has stuck with us. Most people, at least in, in our circles and in a lot of the denominations, uh, and, and even in, in the Roman Catholic Church uh, at times, they will refer to certain leaders as shepherds, as pastors. That's, that's, it's, it's a metaphor that really captures the imagination. But the going term, the one that's used mostly in the New Testament, is the word elder, secondly, overseer, and then third, by means of illustration, uh, the shepherd. Now, it's a very curious irony that though this office of pastor is a huge deal in the New Testament, and, and Paul can call for the elders of the church, and here they all come, and we have qualifications for elders in the New Testament. And they're, they're very specific. I can't think of any other list of qualifications more detailed than those for the elder or the overseer of the church. And there's there, one time for deacons as well. And you think about all these different churches that were there. Um, I uh, did a study recently trying to identify every single place in the New Testament where it said there was a church in that town. But there's no way to figure out how many of them there were because sometimes it mentions whole regions and the churches in that region. You don't know how many there, there are at, at that time. But you could easily argue for the presence of hundreds of pastors in all these little house churches all over the empire by the time Paul ends his ministry. And yet, and yet it is nearly impossible to identify clearly from the scripture a single one of them by name. We don't know who they are. Now, you might be firing off in your brain, well, what about Titus and Timothy, okay? Not pastors. Uh, not, I mean, there are men who are leaders in the church who, who have pastoral kinds of ministry. I mean, they might have been preaching and evangelizing, doing pastoral things for a while. So, so there, there are the kinds of things they have that pastors do. But I don't, I don't know time-wise how much I will have to explain some of this uh, to you, but uh, when, when you study the text of the New Testament, you realize that there's, a, there's at least one key difference between everybody who's doing all kinds of ministry in the New Testament and pastors. The pastors are the guys who stay put. They're in one church. They have to be an example. So the example has to be observed. So they're there. And you can tell a new, somebody who's fulfilling a New Testament office that what we would call the pastor by somebody who's local. So many of the men you read about in the New Testament, they're traveling around. They're coming to Paul. They're, her, they're his prisoners in Christ. Uh, they're fellow prisoners. Uh, they're fellow servants, fellow workers. Never in the New Testament do we hear about so-and-so who was an elder or so-and-so who was an overseer or so-and-so who was a pastor. Never once by name do we hear any of these people. We also think of that with the understanding that there are lots of different people that were identified by specific names in the New Testament. I mentioned a fellow worker, fellow prisoner, a deacon, or, or a fellow servant. There's all kinds of terminology that are used of specifically named people, but not once do you ever hear 
the elder or the pastor referring to the pastoral office. Now, I want to demonstrate that for just a second, and then I want to draw some implications from this, okay? Um, oh, by the way, uh, I, did find, I found what I think may be the earliest historical record to a New Testament pastor that we would call a pastor or an elder by name. It's in uh, Ignatius's letter to the Magnesians. We didn't go to Magnesia. We drove by it, though. Uh, we saw it on the, from the highway. Um, but uh, Ignatius, if you don't know, Ignatius of Antioch <clears throat> in the early 2nd century, so we're talking maybe around 120, something like that, he's writing these seven letters to different churches on his way to Rome where he's going to face the lions in the Colosseum. And when he writes to the Magnesiums, he says, since then I have been found worthy to see you through Damas, your bishop, okay, Bishop is the word overseer. By the time of Ignatius, the bishop sort of had assumed the role of the apostles. They were overseeing a bunch of churches. They were doing what, Paul, what, what Silas and, and Timothy were doing. And the elders ended up being the guys who were on the ground all the time. They were in the, chur- in the same church all the time. And, and Ignatius had been the bishop of Antioch. And now he's been arrested and he's being brought to Rome. He says, I, I have been found worthy to see you through Damas, your bishop, who is worthy of God, and through your worthy elders, Basus and Apollonius. All right, those are the two, as far as I can tell, the first two historically named pastors, and you've never heard of them, have you? Uh, which may, kind of makes my point, okay? This is the invisible pastor, all right? They're, they're there, but maybe I should have called it the, the camouflage pastor, okay? We know they're there but they just don't jump out at us from the text. Now, there's reasons for that. Some of it is the terminology. Throughout the New Testament, we're trying to settle, what do we call these guys? Elders, overseers, you know? There's also the development of church leadership. What's happening at the very beginning of Acts? Um, You've got uh, the the people in Acts chapter 2, after the church explodes, after it begins... uh, you got all this explosive growth is what I'm saying. And uh, the, the people are celebrating and going from house to house every day uh, the, and un- under the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching and doctrine. It's all about the apostles. And they're collecting money from everybody, selling their things, gathering money. And what are they doing with that money? They're taking it and they're doing what? Well, they're giving it to whom? They're, they're laying it at the apostles' feet, yeah. Why? This, this is what they did. You know, the apostles were like, hey, we'll take it. You know, we'll distribute it. We'll do all that. <laughs> That's the, that they're, they're young pastors, okay? They don't know that they're going to get burned out right away if they start doing that. Well, trouble comes right away. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 6, uh, some, of the, some of the widows, the Greek-speaking widows, so they weren't the, they weren't the, the Hebrew-speaking widows, and they were probably marginalized a little bit just in, in the culture, they started getting upset because they were not getting part, you know, they, their needs weren't being met. And so the apostles said, okay, we need help. Kind of reminds us of Moses in the, in the Old Testament when he was trying to do everything by himself. And his father-in-law said, hey, look, I'm going I'm to I'm give you a lesson in organization and, and administration. And so the apostles got together and they, they told the church, and this is significant, they told the church, you choose out seven men among you that can handle this. Because God hasn't called us to wait on tables. Now, I'm not here to talk about deacons right now, but that's a very interesting thing. Uh, people didn't sit at tables and eat. They reclined to eat. 
We got the idea that what he's saying is, you know, we're not table waiters. We're not going to go like, serve in a restaurant because we go and sit down in a restaurant and people come to our table, right? That's not the way it was in the, in the first century. That's not how the culture worked. Tables most likely refers to money tables, like the kind that Jesus overturned when he threw the money changers out of the temple. And the primary uh, ministry of the first men who were these leaders in the church were collecting the money and distributing it. And if you follow that idea through the New Testament, you'll see it all the way through the book of Acts, and you'll see it reflected in the epistles as well. This is something that was going on. Which, if we're going to say that our, the idea of the deacons goes back to Acts 6, one of the primary responsibilities of the deacons is to help watch over the church financially. So anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other lesson. But it's really fascinating. I had a, a PhD student who just defended his dissertation at the beginning of the summer on this whole topic. There's one uh, New, uh, New Testament uh, inter, uh, translation. I think it's the, uh, uh, the Holman Reference Bible, the Christian Standard Reference Bible or something like that, which actually interprets that Acts 6 as if they're handling money, not as if they're serving food. So there's some precedence for that. But anyway, anyway, the, the, the idea is this leadership is growing. And, and there's not this blueprint. You know, Paul or the other apostles, they're not like Moses going up to the mountain to get the blueprint of the law and the tabernacle and everything to do. Uh, the Lord's just leading them along the way. So you start seeing this leadership that comes up. And all we know is that pretty soon the apostles are scattered, the people are scattered, and we start hearing about elders. And so as the New Testament goes on in time, more people start assuming authority. So part of the invisibility of the local pastor in the New Testament is, is due to trying to figure out what to call these guys, and it's partly due uh, to the fact that leadership was growing and developing. Nevertheless, there's all, like I said, there's all kinds of people who are named throughout the New Testament, and yet we do not see uh, the pastor. Now, there's a couple exceptions to this. Let's go to Acts chapter 13, because you're right in Acts 20. Let's turn back just a little bit. Here, is, here, here are a, a couple of times that we see elder. Let me just throw this out as you're turning to Acts 13. Uh, John, when he writes to the epistle, when he writes his epistles, 2nd John and 3rd John, he calls himself John the Elder. But John's an apostle, okay? Um, why is he calling himself the elder? Well, it, we're not really sure. Not because he is the local pastor. In, in fact, the evidence is really that he's kind of overseeing a lot of churches there from where he is in Ephesus. In fact, the seven churches in Revelation that John is writing to, those may be the seven churches that he's overseeing. But John is a very old man, and he's the last living apostle, and he's a very affectionate guy. You read, read John, and especially First John, he's, he's like, love one another. He says it over and over again. So you can see how he would have gotten, you know, I'm the elder, I'm the old, I'm the old guy, I'm the old, you know, I'm the old pastor, okay? Uh, or or, the, or I'm, the la- I'm, the old, I'm the old apostle, I'm the last one. So, so there's, not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of people who believe in, in studying the scripture that he's actually a, a pastor. Another person who says he's an elder, who, who am I thinking of? What's that? Peter. Peter, yeah. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm going to turn to that text in just a second. So I'll, we'll look at that in a second. But he says, he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder. Now, why would Peter the apostle call himself an elder? Peter has learned a lot of lessons in humility by that point. And, uh, you know, Peter was told by Jesus, feed my lambs, okay? 
So there's a metaphorical idea of his being a, a shepherd. And in that passage where he says, I'm a fellow elder, he, he talks about shepherding, you know. So there's, Peter's an apostle. He's not a shepherd, but he's, he's using that terminology. But you also see in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, there were in the church at Antioch, who? Prophets and teachers. And he names them Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, the first one and the last one that were mentioned here in the list, for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right. Doesn't say they're elders doesn't say they're pastors, doesn't say they're overseers, but these guys have been the ones who have been uh, prophesying, which, which I take to in, in, the, in the New Testament, most of the time I think it's in the New Testament revelatory gift sense. There's something miraculous going on about that. That's how they were getting truth at that time. Uh, and they were teaching. In fact, Barnabas got, went up and found Paul around Antioch, brought him back, or, I'm sorry, around Tarsus, his hometown, brought him back to Antioch, and he's teaching. And so here, these men are probably what we might call pastors, but at this time, they're not called elders. Even though elders, Luke's already mentioned elders, they're already a thing. It's curious he doesn't call them that. So again, there's some confusion here, and we're not told, well, who's the one who's prophesying, and who's the one who's teaching? We're not told that either. There's a lot we can discern looking really closely at the names of these guys and where they might have come from, that sort of thing. But it it kind of makes the point, this is about as close as we can get. There's a list of names of guys that seem to be doing pastoral things that we might say, oh, these are the pastors of the church, but they're still not named. They're, They're not thrust out front as if they're some big deal. Let me show you one other example. I'm running short on time here. Go to, go to um, 2 John for just a second. Uh, uh, actually, 3 John, 3 John. Um, it says, the elder, okay, so this is, this is John writing. He does not identify himself as John, by the way. Notice in uh, verse 1 of, of 2 John and verse 1 of 3 John, he just says the elder. I'm the old guy the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, he writes this letter to Gaius. And if we read about Gaius in this letter, what we can discern from him, it may be that he is a pastor, but it's really difficult to discern whether he's one or not. And here's another thing. Paul writes to Timothy and Titus as his co-workers. But when he writes to Rome and the Corinthians, who he spent so much time with, and Ephesus, when he writes to Ephesus, and Philippi. When he writes to Philippi, he says, he says to the church with the bishops and deacons, with the overseers and, and the deacons. When he writes to churches, he never says the names of the pastors. He never writes to the pastors. He knows these guys. He never writes to the pastors. You know, there's a list at the end of, the, end, the end of Romans and the end of uh, 1 Corinthians. You got these names in there. He may be mentioning pastors there. We have no idea if he is, though, because he never calls them that. He never singles them out to be an elder or an overseer or a pastor. And when he writes to the churches, he writes to brothers. 
He does the, in First Peter, Peter does the same thing. And when he comes to chapter 5 and he says, I'm, I'm a fellow elder, I'm gonna, he says, I want to address the elders now. But the whole letter is not written to the elders. It's written to the, to the church or churches that are scattered. And now he's addressing elders. Ironically, the guy who really does seem to be a pastor because he has the authority to dismiss people from the church is this man, uh, 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 diatrophies. I'm sorry, my eyes fell on the word Demetrius, and I I was like, that's not the guy. Uh, Verse 9, I have written something to the church, but diatrophies, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Here's a guy who wants to take authority to himself, who wants to be puffed up. He seems like he's in some position, and if you keep reading the letter, he has, he's he's, uh, put people out of the church. Seems like he might be a pastor. If he is, in my estimation, he's the closest you can get to saying this guy's this guy's a pastor, but he's not a good pastor. <laughs> he's a bad pastor. And, and John is saying John is warning them about this guy. That's ironic, okay? So like the only the only one we're sure of in the New Testament is a pastor was somebody we won't, we don't want to emulate. Again, that kind of makes the point. What what we see today in churches, in, in a lot of churches is this sort of elevation of the pastoral ministry. Uh, John Piper wrote a book a while back called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Now, John Piper's a household name himself. But if you've ever met him, he's a pretty humble guy, and he's a very kind person. And I, I think his, his popularity, in, in one sense, has been that he is able to say things very articulately that a lot of people are thinking, <laughs> but, but they, they're, they don't want to say themselves. He's, just a, he's a very good writer. But this, this book is about maybe 32 different little lessons that just nail pastors to the wall in a very loving way to say, look, we are not the big deal. We are not the center of attention. We don't need to plaster our, our church billboard with our picture and our name. And, and, and really, if you look at the way some pastoral ministry is handled in churches, churches are known today by their pastors. And by the way, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I can think of men of God who are just great examples, and they've served their congregations very humbly and very faithfully. And, and, and for that reason, they become known. But we have this idea that the church is about the pastor. And when people come to the worship service... You know, it's it's about you know we gotta we gotta get the singing over with and all the preliminaries because really the whole the whole the main show is just you know the pastor's sermon that kind of thing okay because we spend the most time on the reason we spend the most time on that is because the word is central and and we don't start making the word central when the sermon comes when we worship here at Gateway notice we start with scripture I might do some announcements when we do the call to worship it's scripture the first thing you hear is scripture the last thing you hear is scripture. And, and we, we're reading systematically through the Scripture. The, the, word, the word really is central. That's why, and, and somebody's got to present the Word, and that's the, that's the person who's preaching that morning. But it seems that the, the pastor is just blended in with the congregation. In other words, his gifts are noted, but they're noted within the congregation of the church that he is pastoring. I told you I would look at 1 John chapter 5. Let's, let's flip over there for just a second. Let's look at, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice what, what Peter says to pastors. 1 Peter chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow, fellow elder. So he's, he's identifying with them in their ministry and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In other words, you're there. You're put in place. And the flock is there. And your focus needs to be that flock. Not starting a website so you can get your name out there. Okay? Not advertising yourself. Not flying all over the world. Uh, doing everything but pastoring that church. Now, having said that, Again, there are men that God has gifted in certain ways, and the church has said, you know what, we're going to come alongside, and, and while you're pastoring this church, we would like others to be able to share in some of these gifts you have. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But what I'm saying is that culturally, we have this idea of the pastor of the church that he is like the, the coach. He's the, he's the big, he's the big uh, one that we're making the deal about. And everybody else just comes along. Well, you know what that happens when, when, when that happens? The pastor ends up doing a whole lot of the ministry because people are like, okay, if you're the pastor, you know, have at it. Uh, and and you know, th- there are churches that can get very big and they can be very successful, but if you look really closely, it's because the people are paying a whole pastoral staff to do the work of the ministry every single week. And people can come in and they can watch and they can enjoy the preaching and their, and their lives can be... Uh, help, they can be edified, but then they're not really invested in the ministry. Um, I'm, I, I can't take time now this morning because of, of, of time, but in, in 1 Corinthians 12, you're very familiar with that passage, right? Where Paul says, not everybody can be the eye, not everybody can be the ear. Uh, if, if everybody were the eye, where were the hearing? If everybody's the ear, where were the smelling? I might be making some of that up, some of that up. but you know, you know the metaphor, okay? Uh, every, every member has an important function in the body. Okay. Do you know that the pastor is not singled out in that text? We're not sure where he is. In fact, I, asked, I, I, I teach pastoral theology uh, at the school. Um, I, I asked him, is, is pastoring a spiritual gift? It's not listed. Now, now God's given men to the church, uh, el, pa, uh, prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and so forth. I said men on purpose, by the way. We'll talk about that later if you want to. Um, uh, He's given men, he's given leaders of the church, but is that really a, a spiritual gift? There's a question mark about that. Well, if it's not, what, would a, what kind of spiritual gift would a pastor have? Well, there's a spiritual gift of administration. Some, some pastors are just world-class administrators. I am not one of them, okay? I just want to tell you, okay? Uh, I have to work at administration, okay? Some, some have better gifts in teaching and preaching, and, and they're visionaries. And, and those are gifts. Those are spiritual gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And there is precedence in the New Testament for a church supporting a pastor, but that's the guy that spends all of the extra time in the ministry of the word and, and prayer. That's what Paul says. And, and, and he, you know, he, uh, he says that some are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the teaching and the preaching. But those slight references are the only way, plus the way the pastoral office has developed historically, that we know that, yes, churches take care of pastors, but you know what? They're doing their ministry in the church like everybody else. And yes, they have a a measure of authority that the church says, okay, we're going to submit to this. 
And Hebrews talks about that. And Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. There's, there's a kind of church authority. But notice how Peter handles, the, handles this church authority. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Nobody's forcing this guy to pastor. As God would have you. So he's answerable to God. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And notice what he says in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's two ways that a pastor has authority over the church. And only two that are discernible in the New Testament. One, uh, he preaches the word of God. If he can say, this is what God clearly says, he can stand his ground and say, no, we have to do this because this is what God says. And that's what a faithful pastor has to do. Sometimes that's more difficult than at others. It's not as difficult here uh, yet um, for any reason. And I don't anticipate there being that difficult only because we have a congregation of people that really yearn after God's word. Uh, You are are people of such uh, character that even if you're like, I don't know if we should do that, if I can say, you know, the scripture points us in this direction you would be like, okay, yeah, okay, let's go along with that then. If that's what God said, let's do it. And that, that's a heart response to the Lord. That's a spiritual response. And so, and so it's easy to have that kind of authority. The other authority that a pastor has is the example he's setting to the flock. He has to be able to say, okay, do what I'm doing. Do it the way I'm doing it. Follow me. And that is a very scary and humbling and frightening thing. But that's what Peter says. He says, don't lord it over but be examples to the flock. And it's because we're looking for the chief shepherd. When he appears, you will receive, he says, the unfading crown of glory. 